Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm looking for the best farming book. To help me are two qualified high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Oh my God, Nick, I cannot tell you how excited I am for this <laughs> week. <laughs> Joe, let's, let's go a little behind the okay. scenes here. Ian, Ian, that's me, showed up late to this recording. I can only imagine Joe has been sort of like doing that little dance for the last half hour yeah. waiting for me to roll the up so dance. finally. Mm-hmm. Yep, it looks like I have to go to the bathroom. Nick, as you know, I grew up on a farm. I lived there for like 20 years and I right. brought a farming book this week. Um, Nick, if you were looking for the best book about farming, I brought a book about cows. It's called The Secret Lives of Cows by Rosamond Young. 136 pages long, written in 2003. Uh, moo to you, Joe, oh, and uh, moo to you. A, a very a very pleasant uh, ma to you. Wait, who did I say? Anyway, uh, today I'm uh, today I'm, I'm farmer in the Dell, Ian Young. Uh, I believe the only of the three of us to own livestock, so... <laughs> oh, you guys have chickens, smoke. right? We do have, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and the llama, right? And then, of course, the of course the five hundred head of cow cattle yeah. that we graze on the He's hillside a behind our house. Gentlemen, that last one's a joke. Yeah, it's a lie. Um, my name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. I'm a high school English teacher. And this week, I brought a book that was a lithead recommendation, f- gaining ground by the aptly named farmer and English major Forrest Pritchard. <laughs> May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> You're lucky that you had a lithead recommendation this week because I have to say I had a very, very hard time settling down to a book this week, right? Like, Yeah, I, you went through a couple. I went through a couple. At first I read one and it was a little like too cute, like a little too eat, pray, love. And then I started reading another one that was like all like essays about the downfall of agriculture in America. That was just like... Let's let's name that one in the theme of eat, pray, love. Joe, what are the three words you would use <laughs> yeah, to describe right. it? Yeah, it, right. It was... Um, Angry? It was angry well, no, um, they, they, they need to be verbs so mm, verbs oh sure so it can't be like is, industrialization is to it grouch, was like is to oh, grouch a verb yep, i got it it was it was consolidate grow exploit would have been <laughs> well but okay but uh, hang that on book let's, ain't selling any copies let's <laughs> pump the brakes a little bit it's, it seems like this book is eat pray love i've never read it it's mm-hmm. it's it's about recommending these things that you should. Mm-hmm. This is a good lifestyle. Are you right. saying that, that Wendell Berry book you were reading was saying we should consolidate? <laughs> Fine. Grow I guess you, I guess it would be I guess it would be more like guys consolidate, grow, exploit. Don't I do think we those things. It's it. bad that people are doing those things. No, Joe, let's beat this to death. <laughs> no, no, hold on. Are, are we even going to talk about your book? Yeah, yeah. So I, mean, the, I think he's like, oh, I had trouble. And so I settled on it. An experience settled readings. on. I'm just going to tell farm stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I do have some um, fun things to say about this book. I I did enjoy this book a lot. Uh, the thing I liked most about this book, not to get ahead of myself, is that it really fondly reminded me of what it was like to have cows on a farm. Well, welcome, Litheads. So you don't know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast, where every week we pick a theme, or you recommend one. And Ian and Joe, two high school English teachers bring book recommendations, and just to upset one of them, we pick a winner. Uh, Upsets us every week. Winner, winner, here's a farm-related one. Winner, (laughs) winner, organically raised chicken dinner. Okay. It's good. It's good. I mean, it's not great. Okay. Um, So Didn't know we were doing live evaluations of my jokes. Joe, how... (laughs) We are. Joe, uh, (laughs) how are you going to feel if you lose farm week? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no! <laughs> um, I will be announcing my retirement from you don't know that podcast.com. Oh, wow. Whoa. Yes. No, I, 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 I don't know. I feel announcing your retirement from probably farm make, stories. It'll make me I a little have, bit sad, but probably bitter. I, I yeah. I have yeah. two farm comments. The first, do you, any of you remember it? heads feel free to sound off in the comments or call in since we're a live show. Do you remember Joe's first ever farm story? I do. Um, can yep. I guess, was it the cow pus? It was, 
<laughs> Classic cow pus, right to cow it. Pus. Oh, uh, let me let me just think about that. Where was it? Cow pus? Was it cow pus? Yes, it was cow I pus. Joe has a clear hierarchy of farm stories, <laughs> and cow pus is number one of the bullet. One of the anxieties that I've had this week is that you guys are just going to put me on the spot and be yeah. like, "Joe, tell us a farm story right now," because top cow pus. As you know, I don't prepare these things. Like I think oh, they need to grow not. organically from the freshly tilled. Yeah. Litheads. Yeah, speaking it. of litheads. We have had this, we've brought up cow pus before. I don't honestly remember what episode it was on. Does anybody remember? It was like, I think it was episode one. I think what happened no, was, it wasn't. Nick, Nick, you were like, Nick's like, like, I was you know, lit, and Joe was like, cow, cow pus, pus, let's go. <laughs> Litheads, if you know what episode it is, let us know on our social media. How did we get this theme today? This is a Lithead recommendation. Um, uh, Silas recommended this book, the book that I brought, and um, it's a kind of a unique enough book that we we decided to go with a farming theme. Mm-hmm. So, what's the what's the what do you guys grow? What have you grown? Do you grow things? Do you grow herbs? Oh. Do you grow um, mushrooms? Like what what's what are you guys growing? What's, what's I spend these days? I spend several hundred dollars on a garden every year, and then uh-huh, yeah, uh, throw yeah. about seventy five percent of it away, and then um, into basically what what amounts to um, a couple packages of herbs yep. and um, yep. three good jalapenos. A um, bit of a green thumb over yeah. here. Well, to be honest, <laughs> growing jalapenos in Wisconsin, maybe not your best. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I grow plants in my backyard, uh, various like shrubs gra- and grasses grass and things trees. like that. Yeah, Lots of grass. <laughs> Joe, do you want to take 30 seconds and tell me... Uh, Give me the back cover of your book. Absolutely. Nick, cows can love. They can play games. They can bond. They form strong, lifelong friendships. They sulk. They hold grudges and they have preferences and they can be vain. All of this is observed by Rosamond Young, a family farmer on her family farm at Kite's Nest Farm. Can you say that three times fast? She has cows, sheep, hens, pigs. All of them roam free. There's no forced weaning, no separation of young siblings from the mother. She thinks she's on to something, and she has a whole bunch of farm stories and anecdotes in this tiny, tiny book. 136 pages, 2003. Now, you say family farm. Is is she farming whole families, or are the families kind of... Oh, man. There's just so many good farming jokes. really good. A lot of good farm stuff. this one. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Um, uh, Ian, I guess you can go. <laughs> Although I think 19- you, you, I don't know if you deserve a turn, but you no. get one anyway. <laughs> in the 1990s, Forrest Pritchard graduated the College of William and Mary with a degree in English. Instead of writing the great American novel, he decided to revive his family's ancestral farm in Virginia. This process of revival involved a lot of hard work, learning, and heartache. It also involved massive killer pigs and a bunch of weird farmer people. Lots of weird farmers. My book this week, Gaining Ground, is 50% memoir, 50% manifesto, 100% inspiring. I don't know why I went. Yeah, you went there. I liked it. Yeah, it was good. This book made me think that, A, I believed him, and B, I could maybe do it, which I can't. I can't do what he did, but I feel like maybe that's the power of this book. Right. I feel like that's the danger of books like this. Yeah, well, I mean... you're like, I could do this, and pretty soon you own 40 acres and a mule. And you and got three dream. jalapenos. <laughs> uh, Joe, Joe, yes, I yes. want you, I want you to start. Absolutely. Joe, let's just kick this off real quick. Mm-hmm. Do you have any stories more disgusting than pus? I'll cut Ooh, this out if the question. answer is no. But I want to know if that's the most disgusting thing you saw growing up on a farm. There, there was a lot of like, like, I don't know. Sometimes you-, you have like cow surgeries or like a cow <laughs> will give birth. Like Whoa, a cow will give birth and their uterus will come out and you have to put it back in and stuff like that. Like that's disgusting in kind of a different way. And, and it makes you sad. One of Joe's classic farm stories is the truly concerning one where the person had the cow head and was chasing somebody around with it. That was me. I was the um, one with the cow head. Yes. That's yeah. not yeah. farm related, though. That's just Joe's a psychopath. <laughs> That's farm true. adjacent. Farm adjacent stories. I don't know cow. how we move past cow surgery so so quickly. 
Who was yeah, doing like cow surgery? surgery? Like often the vet comes and does cow surgery. Like, like very strange thing happens to cows. He like sometimes watching. a cow will get their stomach twisted and it's exactly what it sounds like. They, Which their one? stomach, uh, good question. All of them. Uh, they just do a little loop de loop and they get very, very sick. They get bloated. Um, like they fill up with gas, uh, to the point where like, they almost look like you have actually inflated them. And Nick, yes. the way, <laughs> the first thing that you do when a cow gets bloated like this is you pop them. Like you take a plug, it's like a surgical plug, and you stick it in their side, but, and it but, goes. But, but, but Joe, yeah, they just it just releases it just releases the gas. It's not Don't like treat they, it they, like it's they, not disgusting. Huh. And then the second thing you do is you cut a hole in the side of the cow. You put your arm inside of them, and you twist the stomach around until it's the right way. And that's literally how you fix a cow with a twisted stomach. God, dear God, tell us about your book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll show you, Nick. <laughs> um, Rosalind Young, uh, her parents, uh, she, she's a British woman, a delightful old British woman right now. Um, her parents she's currently brought old. Her, she's currently quite old. Her parents <laughs> bought the family farm, decided to be farmers in 1953. Um, Rosalind was 12 days old. Nice. She grew up in a time when the name of farming in England was consolidation. It was growth. Uh, like the, the government was putting incentives in place for farmers to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and her yeah. parents rejected this mm, a little good bit. For them. And even though they didn't have a name for it, and this, these are her words from her introduction to this book. She's like, even though we wouldn't have called it organic farming at the time, like we knew our animals and we listened to our animals and we did what they seemed like they liked. And it meant that our animals had a ton of room to roam, that we kept our herds relatively small, that we knew them all individually, etc. They started with five cows and an old tractor, right. no electricity and no telephone. Now she runs this farm with her brother and it's kind of a world-class famous farm. I'm sorry, not world-class. It is a world-famous farm um, and a pioneer in everything that you think about when you think about like ethically raised uh, food or organics, free range, grass-fed, etc. So uh, that was in 1953. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So how famous is this person? Like, I guess how many followers does she have? Yeah, Joe? okay. So this is, like, this is a good question. Yeah. How, how many How many likes on the talk? Right. How big is her talk? Um, yeah. Well, it it is. She, she's not famous enough for me to have heard of her before I came across this book. But it does seem like people who have their ear to the ground with stuff when it comes to stuff like organic farming, like she's known, right? She's written a couple of books. She's widely published in magazines, things like that. Like she is a voice in this space. Yeah. Well, and that's, is that pretty similar to the whole shoe farm as, as well? Correct. You guys pioneering uh, well, kind of innovation have, for the last, I would say that the whole shoe farm has a lot of clout in Holland town, Wisconsin. Okay. Um, uh -huh. it, yeah, we're pretty well known. My dad is uh, well liked by the neighbors. Um, recently put up a nice shed. Uh, lots yeah. of people come by and admire it. Right? That's, <laughs> that's all true. Um, <laughs> totally true. So um, these guys are amazing. And, I'm, I'm assuming it's something like, hey, we're just normal people and we want to do what's right by our animals and take care of them. And if we do that, it will create good things from that. Yeah. Right? So so it, that's kind of it. But all of that is almost subtext in this book. OK, this book is basically it's a tell all. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a tell all. Well, it's a tell all about the lives of her cows. Like this book is entirely huh. for 130 some pages stories about animals on the farm, right? Mm. So she'll name a cow. She'll talk about that cow's characteristics. She'll talk about who that cow's friends are on the farm, like who their cow friends are, who their cow enemies are. Mm. She'll describe <laughs> fights that the cows have with each other, grudges that fights. they hold. Oh, cow fights. Oh, man, other cow fights. Grudges that they hold against each other. And then she'll track families through generations and pretty much like what this book boils down to is story after story after story of her basically saying hey here's kind of a weird interaction that i saw on the farm one day between these two cows or these three cows uh-huh this is what i think was going on and it's kind of a lot of her oh it's reckoning. speculation it's a lot of her speculation and she acknowledges mm -hmm. this pretty early on in the book where she says look 
everything I talk about, like every action that I describe in this book is 100% true, right? Like it is absolutely how it happened. Me describing it though, that's where my voice comes in. And like, I am telling you that what I am telling you that this is what I think was happening after being on this farm for 70 years and living among these animals for that time and like kind of witnessing the interactions of cows. Like this is what I think just happened. So she might see two cows, you know, with a bale of hay, get into a little tiff, you know, get into a little fight. And then Rosalind comes in and says, what you need to know about those two cows is that they come from like the two cow clans in on the farm and they are enemies. And those two clans... And those two clans, they have mm-hmm. beef. They uh, <laughs> All right. That's good. Fine. This is your role, Ian. This is your role. <laughs> and you, is, and, and, and I have a legitimate question, sell. though, Joe. Yes. It sounds like she's kind of... I have an illegitimate question. As always. <laughs> when you're done. It sounds like she's legitimately... She's, she's seriously invested in the well-being of these cows to the extent that she's ascribing psychologies to them, which I think is a... But... My 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 dude, uh, Forrest Pritchard, deals with at a certain point in his book and a certain point in his journey as a meat farmer, he deals with the conundrum of like, okay, maybe I shouldn't eat meat anymore. Like even yeah. the meat that I grow. Yep. So my question is, what is she using these cows for besides exploiting yep. their fake non-existent psychologies for a best-selling book first? Yep. And nope. if she if if meat, if me if if they're meat cows, like what is she how does she deal with that? Yep. Great question. Thank she you. never does. Right? Oh, she never does. And I feel like oh. it's like this, it's like this thing that's kind of hanging in the background the oh. whole time because she introduces you to these cows that they've had for years, like talks about generations and generations of cows that they've reared. And a lot of the cows that she talks about are female for obvious reasons, right? Like, because those are the cows that tend to hang around <laughs> farms. And then she'll tell stories about like these young male calves sometimes. And sometimes she's like, Oh, Then we had Jake and he was a bull and he was super gentle and he became like the main bull at our farm. But all the other young bull calves like Jack and Tom and Dick and Harry. Wait, is this Jake from State Farm? (laughs) Like all the other young bull calves, they just go away. Right. And like the thing that you're wondering as a reader the whole time is she like tells this story very much where you start to identify with these cows as characters, like as as people kind of right. Like she like personifies, she certainly anthropomorphizes them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And then like the thing that she never says or not never, but only touches on lightly is like, this is a beef farm, right? Like she, Mm -hmm. like these cows are destined for the slaughterhouse. One. When was the book written, Joe? Uh, 2003 the book was written yeah interesting well yeah i mean i do feel like things have really changed in the last 20 years in terms of like talking about things i mean they're they're absolutely right things have changed in terms of talking about things people eat beef (laughs) this is where it comes from i don't think she owes anybody an apology well and i I think that's kind of what it it is is an interesting thing to talk about especially in the context of like joe like these are she, like she's so she wrote a book about these cows yep. wrote a book about them and and like her argument with like all these stories is pretty much when you drive and you see a herd of cows right like it's easy to think of them as just a herd of cows right like just a herd of like i, I mean they even look alike right like they're they're identical mindless things and her argument is like these cows are not mindless like they are not emotionless they have opinions they have pride they have all this stuff and she i think to her credit really does establish that effectively. But then you do have like this other question hanging over your head. But I think of my own upbringing. (laughs) Did you just eat chapter 14? (laughs) (laughs) Like, but I think of my own upbringing on the farm. And like, this is like, we were a dairy farm. Like we didn't raise cows for meat consumption, but the cows on dairy farms, guys, they also are consumed for meat at the end of their lives, right? And it was something that was just... Like, you never really thought about the ethics of it. Like, we knew our cows. Like, we bottle fed our cows. We brushed them. We had some that we liked. We had some that were, like, mean and we didn't like as much or whatever. But, like, you don't even think about the ethics of it because it's just, like, the way it is. Like, like we are a farm. We raise milk. And when a cow, like, no longer produces milk or gets sick or gets old or whatever the case is, they go onto the truck, right? And when they go onto the truck, they get turned into hamburger. time for cow surgery. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to separate yourself from your life, cow. I I wasn't really looking for, like, I don't know if there needs to be an apology necessarily, 
Right. I was just, I was yeah. struck in my book. I will talk about it in a bit. I was struck by how this is a legit, like when you do this kind of slow farming at some yep. point, you probably have to come to terms with it. It's interesting that she seems to have been sort of like a classic farmer. Like, well, they get eat anyway, moving on. Right, right. They get eaten like that. Guy, hey, guys, this is a farm. Right. <laughs> like, and I She's think like, like, I'm not eating them all. You guys are. So it is an interesting thing that that she touches on briefly when she does talk about it. Like she basically says, like, look, the land that we farm is not arable land like it's not tillable land like it's grassland it, it's it's nutrient poor like nothing is ever going to grow on it but grass she's like people can't eat grass is kind of what she says right so if we want to take that land and we want to use that for you know like whatever for for food production that means meat production on that land sure. right so she does make points like that Joe, I would love to hear you be not critical, but I, to use your critical thinking skills on this and tell us straight up, does it sound Try. like BS? Because yeah, my, so as I hear this, maybe I'm crotchety after a long day, but I'm suspicious. I, 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 yeah. I, how, how legit, how legit do these speculations about cow psych psychology? Your sister, my wife always says that, she her, she remembers how stupid cows were. <laughs> she said they're just the dumbest creatures. They couldn't get themselves out of a, you know, a southern expression. Mm -hmm. Is that is that true or is she a liar? Yeah, you're you're um Nick, my, I hate to break it to you here on the show live. Um but I grew up playing board games with your wife. She is not only a liar, she is a <laughs> cheater. Cows. I was hoping you was gonna say I grew up playing board games with the cows. <laughs> so they must be pretty smart. They always lost, but I can tell they were learning. <laughs> I won every game. <laughs> okay, I, are cows stupid? Um, from my own personal observation, I don't know. What do you expect? Like, dogs are stupid. You love them anyway. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, address the question. Give us give us another example. Like, what are the these, like, amazing, unique things that she writes about of seeing, and why is it worth putting in a book? Yep, so the big thing that she writes about in here, and the thing that she keeps coming back to, is the relationships between cows, right? So she'll talk about, for example, how a mother will have a calf, a female calf, and how those two, right, will remain, like, though it, they both they both might live on the farm for another 10 years, 15 years after that point. And those two very frequently will remain very close that entire time, even as like mom, even as like mom goes, grows up, has other calves. She even goes so far as to talk about how like mom will frequently babysit her mm grandchildren right. right if that makes That's sense cool. like the mom will have a will have a calf the, that cow will grow up she will have a calf and when that cow needs a break mom will take care of it like grandma cow will take care of it right and this is observable behavior like it's not random she says if you if you know the relationships you see that grandmas take care of these things she talks about a chicken at one point. They have other animals too. So there's also like chicken stories and sheep stories in here. Of course. She talks about a chicken at one it point. It is farming week. It is farm week. That undergoes a pretty drastic change in its life when it uh, and two of its friends are attacked by a fox Ooh. one night. Um, the fox kills oh, that's funny. the two friends, right? And carries yeah. them away. Dark. And the third chicken, the, the hero of our story, um, gets mangled, like absolutely mangled. So they bring it back to the house. They nurse it back to health. They kind of fashion a splinter cast out of it. And all of a sudden, like all these other chickens show up and they start kind of serving as a bodyguard for this injured chicken, right? Like they will help it around like chickens that like never were friends with it before start hanging out by it etc um she then goes on to tell kind of a great story uh, it's, it's a little bit it's it's a little bit well whatever you'll see where they say <laughs> we finally took this chickens they're like Ready. we finally took this chickens cast off right and uh, her entire foot just fell off <laughs> oh god <laughs> And she's like, and the chicken was so damn happy to have that dead weight off. Like she hobbled around a little bit and she fell down at first, but pretty soon she learned how to use her wings to steady That's herself. Awesome. And she lived another like five years. Yeah, awesome. it was pretty cool. 
That encapsulates farming, I feel like. This, mm-hmm. you're, as you tell these stories, so basically, to wrap that up, you basically are, it's like, there is emotion in their behavior. Yes. There is yeah, m- more intelligence than yep. maybe like, other people like, have like, observed and written about. Cows have more interpersonal empathy for one another, more interpersonal relationships than you would ever suspect they did seeing a herd of cows grazing. This gives me the same emotions when you watch those videos where the cheetah is chasing the uh, gazelle and mm. you're rooting for the gazelle yeah, and then the really cheetah doesn't get the gazelle and then you feel bad for the cheetah. Feel bad for the <laughs> cheetah too. It's brutal. Okay. I've got a quick list of things. Um, this is called things I learned about cows despite living on a dairy farm for 20 years. Number one, oh, this is good. a cow can get pregnant from two bulls at once. A cow can get pregnant from two bulls at once. Can have two calves, totally different dads. Um, number two, there's what? a thing in cows called free martins um, where very frequently if a cow has twins and one is male and one is female, both will be sterile. Like neither one will be able to reproduce for some reason uh number three they had a cow who was addicted to sniffing the carbon monoxide that came out of the exhaust of farm machinery <laughs> yeah. it would just follow along to follow around trucks and See, tractors stupid, very stupid <laughs> things i found almost unbelievable the workers on the farm she claims over and over again can tell which milk the cow came from just by tasting it. They have wow. something like 170 cows on this farm and the they, they milk them individually, those that need to be milked, and the workers can do a blind taste test and tell, oh, this one came from Bessie, this one came from Shirley, etc. Calves play games. I know this, but she like kind of formalizes the games. Um, they play with foxes at dusk. They chase pheasants. They run relay races. And when one wins the relay race, they run a victory lap around. Um, it, there's all sorts of stuff. And then there's just the stuff I was fine, fondly reminded of, the personalities of cows. The way that weird naming of cows happens, like when you have so many animals, you have to give them names. And at a certain point, you just like, I don't know call them weird stuff and <laughs> that just one, becomes them. Two. Yeah, yeah kind of there's one example where she's like so we have this old cow named bumble and then bumble had a calf so we named that one uh, bumble as well and we named the and we changed the mom's name to mrs bumble <laughs> and then and then the calf had a boyfriend that died so we changed their name to ms bumble <laughs> And it was just stuff like that. Um, Cows have friends. They have various attitudes and sociabilities. It was, this book mostly felt like a very friendly reminder of what it felt like to hang out with cows. Are cows cool, Joe? Is that how you'd wrap this up? I really like cows. Like, is this the year of the cow? Ooh, interesting. I like cows. I can recommend cows, but do you know what I think are awesome? Are calves, which are just, baby cows you can right. pet them they have big beautiful eyes you can feed them with a bottle when they want more milk out of the bottle they bucket like they they like bucket and sometimes knock it out of your hands which doesn't sound very cool but it's pretty cute and pretty smart <laughs> <laughs> can we end on that cute yeah cow story on a on that cute cow story yeah. absolutely baby calves are adorable and you can brush them and pet them and scritch them and feed them with the bottle Hey, Litheads. You know what was just recently, a couple of days ago? Yeah, that's right. The birthday of your favorite state beginning with a V, Vermont. Not Virginia. Um, No, it's Vermont. Live free or die. Live free or die? Is that Vermont? Um, I think it is. That's New Hampshire. Uh, no. Well, the the motto of the motto of Vermont is Stella Quarta Decima Fulgiat, which means "May the Fourteenth Star Shine Bright." The anthem is these green right, mountains, obviously. and it's called the Green Mountain State. Litheads, Vermont is very high on my bucket list of states to visit. Um, it seems like a very cool place, and so as such, I would like to bring next week a book about Vermont. Uh, it's by returning champion Shirley Jackson, well known for oh. uh, well known for a book, a little book I like to call The Lottery, and a different book called mm. The Haunting of Hill House, which I brought and read. Shirley Jackson's incredible, and I will be reading her book 
We have always lived in the castle. And Ian, I will be leaning into the nonfiction side of things, and I'm going to be bringing a book of, of views of Vermont called The Animal 1000 Miles Long, in which Leith Torino takes, um, I'm sorry, sorry, Leith Tonino takes seven different looks at Vermont. He flies over in an airplane. He walks across it. He takes a canoe. He does all sorts of neat stuff and writes about what Vermont is like. As somebody who knows so little about Vermont, I just had to Google their motto. I am excited to read this book. Ian, what is your book about? My book is, I think, uh, it's it's more people focused the, than Joe's book, even though it does have a lot of does have <laughs> yeah. a lot of cows. Um, well. My book is part memoir. That's how I described it in the in the, the 30 seconds. Um, and a big part of it is he goes from basically um, uh, tenderfoot greenhorn guy who doesn't know anything about farming to running a successful bed and breakfast, a kind of kickstarting the regenerative regenerative farming movement, becoming this kind of bigwig in regenerative farming in the u.s what's the time frame here for the plot of this and then the year it came out again so it starts it starts kind of he gets underway in the mid 90s and it runs all the way through the 2000s this came out in 2013 and today i mean it, it, the book is a new york times bestseller today his farm is um is what's his name forest Pritchard Whitaker. No, different guy. Weirdly, though, Forrest Whitaker also owns a regenerative, regenerative farm. He's not a good farmer, though, so the cows keep That's dying. That's crazy. Absolutely insane. <laughs> there are so many dead cows in Forrest Whitaker's house. Forrest, if you're listening to this, please know these are... We know Forrest, we're lying. We know we're lying. getting cows. So this is a really cool book because I think one of the things he's honest about is how hard this process is. He starts off... With his, his family owns this farm, right? And, and they, it's an ancestral farm. They've owned this farm for generations, but the farm doesn't pay. And so they've kind of stopped using it as a farm. And he wants to regain some of that glory. But it's really hard to make a farm pay. So he tries to do it the conventional way. And he toils all summer long. And he sends off five truckloads of corn. And he gets $18.16 for that. Okay, so oh, pretty good. Yeah. So then he's like, "Well, let's try a different approach." And the the process, he kind of finds his way into this regenerative farming thing, which I can talk more about in a bit. But it's such a fascinating and challenging process, and so he kind of tells it's it's a it's a story arc. You know, it's it's yeah. So he's he's a farmer. He's not making any money like farmers do. Yeah. What's the arc? Is it a happy ending? <laughs> it's oh, it's. I mean, it's 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 kind of like it's kind of like a superhero origin. Like he starts off really struggling, and you know, like in superhero origins, like if he's got flight powers, he's always like slamming into things, or if if she's got like laser <laughs> yeah. powers, she's always like cutting school buses in half by accident, right? Killing her, yeah, fiance. right. The classic yeah. stuff. There's a lot of what <laughs> a lot of stuff that goes wrong. He he has these cows, these beeves. He wants to sell the beef. So he finds a butcher. And it's really hard to find a butcher who will do this for him. And he he, he takes a, a cow to the butcher. The butcher cuts it up. And then the butcher mislabels. Alive? Nope. Kills it first. Mislabels the beef. Nope. Oh, first. So he has to okay. sell it mislabeled. And then oh, the next no. time he goes to the butcher, the butcher is doing like illegal and unhealthy things sanitation wise. So he's got to find a different butcher, which is two states away. Meantime, his truck is broken down, so he has to fix it. But now he's out of money. What does he do? He's got to find a market to sell this beef. He jury rigs a freezer on the back of his new truck, which is newly fixed, and takes yeah. it to the farmer's market. And and, and then is it this? flies open on the highway, and the, the, the lid of the freezer goes flailing off. It's just like one... You're making a point here, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is... Is he the... He's the pioneer. He's pioneering this kind of new approach, right? He's figuring it out as he goes along. Yes. And and he's not the only one. Let's be it's clear. Messy. He's not the only one to yeah. be doing this. He's learning from people. Of course. But he's not. having to, to make a lot of mistakes and learn trial by error over and over. And fortunately, these errors are frequently hilarious and oftentimes <laughs> fascinating. So I think one of the biggest, biggest delights about this book is what I would refer to as farm shenanigans. 
Oh, so really? I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Shockingly, farms can be funny. So <laughs> from Joe's stories, I've just I had no idea. <laughs> Joe's stories usually involve viscera of some sort. That could happen. <laughs> There's much less Amazing. viscera. And because like um, Pritchard has this degree in, in English, he, he was a creative writer. He won some prizes for his poetry. So he knows how to tell a good story. And so he tells about the, this, this guy, Travis, who works for them, who's a great, a great worker, but just takes obscenely long breaks and never learned how to drive in his life. Travis, classic Travis. And when he gets stressed out, he has a little vocalization thing he does. And it goes a little something like this. (laughs) And Pritchard walks us through like. When when Travis is vocalizing this way, it's bad. But when he's vocalizing, when he starts saying mm-hmm, that that means something's really bad. So how is that spelled? Um, well, H M is the, is yeah, the first you know level, it's- but when it kind of ratchets <laughs> up, okay. it's M H M. So you can tell if, gotcha. you, if you know Travis. Um, there are situations like there's a recurring gag. They keep buying animals and they open the cage and the animals just run. They just and they never seem to learn. <laughs> So like they've got a they've got a truck full of chickens. They park the truck. They're like, all right, let's get these chickens out. And somehow, stupidly, they just open the gate and the chickens are off. Um, and this happens yeah. multiple uh, times. The best, the best. I mentioned killer pigs. Um, there's a pig that is yeah. that is too smart. Pigs are smart. Pigs are smart. Pigs, pigs are, are smart. scary Famous smart. smart. Smarter than cows. Yeah, yeah. They're they're probably smarter than cows. This pig realizes or figures out. What butchery he's a pig. what butchery is. <laughs> he realizes that when pigs uh-huh. go in that area of the farm, they disappear. And so this pig Ooh, learns yeah. how to avoid that. He escapes over and over. The longer <sighs> he escapes, the bigger he gets. So it's harder to capture him. And these guys aren't running kind of like mm-hmm. a cruelty, a cruelty <laughs> zone where they just shock him into submission. They're like talking to old farmers. How do you tie? How do you catch a pig? Well, you got to tire him out. Shake them, shake, chase them across the fields. Oh, they're like rubbing peanut butter on them. Yeah, yeah they're doing good. like these home remedies. This <laughs> so the, the, them, the yeah. climax of the story is a seven hundred pound pig, which knows it's going oh, to be God. butchered if it's caught. They're trying to run it until it tires out. It turns the tables and starts chasing Forrest, chases him up a tree. Yeah. When yeah. he tries to drop down <laughs> out of the tree, he breaks his ankle and blacks out, oh, and. Um, he comes he comes to narrowly escaping this pig. They they oh eventually have to shoot the pig in the head from a distance because oh no. it's become this oh kind of farm terrifying. There's no sport there. Nope. The sport it, it's become it a is. menace. This pig, this pig, they should have named it Dennis because it is a menace. I feel like you should have to be able to subdue the creature that you're gonna kill. If you <laughs> that's hey, that seems I think fair. That's, the rule. that's only fair. I you mentioned this, this, this thing about him eating yeah. and meat and, and he goes through this phase where he doesn't eat meat. And the end of that chapter, he says, yeah, I did not partake of of um, they call him Blackie, the pig. I didn't partake of Blackie because <laughs> Blackie bested me and I I don't eat things. I'm not going to eat something that that could have eaten me. He was they donate Blackie's meat to. um to uh i think a homeless shelter um underprivileged <laughs> pigs um my sister let uh poor uh pig go at the pep rally her senior year nick i would imagine you've heard this story at some point that's right uh, yep she let a pig go at the pep rally her senior year and she was suspended from school yep because very popular the pig, for that it's it was very popular yes yeah, so she was suspended from school because of the quote distress that she caused the pig, <laughs> the pig. oh um, the pig <laughs> distress that she caused the pig at the time we kind of laughed it off and poo-pooed it um, that pig grew up to be a big pig. And when we put it on the truck to get butchered, all of the other pigs quietly went onto the truck, but her pig put up an absolute fight. It kicked and screamed and squealed and ran. And we yeah. thought, you know what? Maybe Annie did freak that pig out. <laughs> no, you know what happened? It saw freedom. It's like, holy yep, it shit. It. There's a whole other <laughs> part. It. I want an education. <laughs> There's a school. <laughs> Oh, um, I would watch that movie. The mm-hmm. movie where the pig goes back to school. Uh, Babe, pig Air in this high school. Yeah. Air pig. Air, Air pig. pig. 
so Ian, how, so this book kind of reads, uh, who, like, is it a narrative? Like, are you, you and yeah, we're, we're rooting for Forrest as he gradually kind of very slowly trial by error whips this farm into shape. Um, he writes it, it comes out at a time when his farm has already already become kind of this powerhouse. So it's sort of like, how did we get here? Um, you're probably wondering how I got here and it's a really engaging story. That's, that's, I think what, <laughs> I was chased here by a 700 pound pig. If you see it, please shoot it in the head from a distance. That's good. Um, so the, that's like what kind of keeps you engaged. Um, the stories are really good. He's a good storyteller, but I think what, what made me want to finish this book, what made me kind of stick with it is the manifesto part. So when I said, this is 50% uh, memoir, 50% manifesto, hundred percent inspiring. So he's big into regenerative farming. He has this powerful belief that what he's doing is the right way to farm. It's, it's all about local food. You know, you're not doing feedlots. You're not putting a bunch of pesticides on things. You're kind of rejecting monoculture in favor of pasture rotation, fertilizing naturally. Um, when I talked to right. long-term yeah, farming, slow. I talked to Silas mm-hmm. about this and he, he calls slow. it working with ecosystems and biology instead of against ecosystems and biology. Um, this turns the farm into a net positive carbon capture bank. So instead of farms being kind of producers of carbon, um, bad for climate change, um, far, farms are like beneficial. They're 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 capturing carbon. Um, right. It's it's beneficial for. Oh, so you're saying you don't have to believe the lies that uh, huge agriculture companies are shoving down your throat? <laughs> it's, it's, it. it's really it's Got cool it. because. Um, not only is it, is it healthier food, but it's eventually it becomes easier. He says that Silas says that you get to a point with regenerative farming where sort of the natural way that cows and pigs and chickens and, and plants and water all work together. You're not doing much. You're not adding stuff to the soil. You're not putting much in. You're just kind of managing. It gets, it hits this kind of equilibrium yeah. where you're making sure that you're maintaining what's there but you're Mm -hmm. not doing much you're not adding fertilizer every year you don't even have to plow sometimes you your your pastures they don't need to be kind of turned over um because you let your pigs you let your pigs out there and the pigs will go through a pasture in a couple of weeks and turn it like turn it over they'll they'll root it up turn it over they they, rot yeah and and so it's super fascinating that this can have such such positive effects but it's not it doesn't produce at at the scale that we're used to and so it's Mm -hmm. not very widespread there's a really i know we're uh promoting a book uh there's a really good ted talk on like how that can work in a basically ballet of uh like uh oh uh, yeah that's awesome like this ecosystem working together where uh but there's uh this reminds me of um there's a ted talk by a chef named dan barber he's very famous um but he is a chef who owns a farm right Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like the plankton feed the fish and the fish yeah. feed the when grass. You drill down far enough. How like how real is this? Like is th- like is this is it like how much of this is he being like, nope, we have it absolutely working. Or is it like we we can see the ideal like we can see the end and we think we can get there. Right. Because like. Like, like, like a stupid example is we talk about like cows and picking chickens and pigs and like the land all coexisting, but like cows and chickens and pigs don't like coexist in nature. Right. (laughs) It's like, like, it's not like these things like make, like are supposed to go together. It's just like, I don't know. You're combining different Lego sets. One of the things you, but, but when you combine different Lego sets, you know, maybe you mash, um, uh, Bionicle up against the Wild West. It's kind of, it's kind of, and then you get robot pirates. Yeah, it's kind awesome. of cool. Or maybe you mash two things that don't really work together, and it's, it's, it doesn't click. It's like using Duplos and Tinker Toys. Part of, part of what he's talking about is figuring out your building blocks and figuring, figuring out how they work together. So he narrates how he, when he sees the pigs run through a pasture and like root it up in two weeks, he's like, oh, that's what they're doing. I can use that to refresh this pasture. So in a couple of years or even in a year, it's all lush and the cows can come back in and graze it down. And then the pigs come back in and he can kind of see it sort of like kind of build. He's like, if we take out these fences, all of a sudden the runoff um, into the, into the, the Creek that runs through our property, 
dissipates and um, there's less erosion and all of a sudden uh, the cows are kind of going where they want to go. And it's, it's sort of, it's sort of trusting that animals will do things that are not necessarily, not necessarily destructive. Right. Um, The argument is that, that a lot of the destruction, a lot of the agricultural destruction you see is because people maximize yield at the cost of the animal's well-being, at the cost of the the environment. Um, it's it's really it's really fascinating the way this all kind of works. He is privileged. Um, he he is like able to do this because his mom and dad both have jobs that subsidize the farm until it gets on its feet. Um, for the first like eight years, eight, ten years, the farm is not profitable. They're massively in debt. But the, but there's never gonna happen without that. Exactly. Nobody's right. doing this without exactly. because yeah, because yeah. no yeah, not a lot because of people it, have because tried it this. can't be profitable for those first eight, ten years or whatever it is. There's not a manual yeah. written down. He's very straight mm-hmm. up like this is what this is what I was able to do. I he says I was gardening, I was farming, I was farming all day. I would go I would go shower, I would go um work for a, a local catering business like black tie serving hors d'oeuvres i'd fall into bed sleep for four hours i'd wake up i'd farm some more repeat seven days a week 365 days a year it's exhausting but the the the, the end product is not just good 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 tasty beef not just beef he can kind of believe in not just yummy yummy not just tasty tasties mm-hmm. but but food that food that you can feel comfortable with food that that Right. That you don't feel icky or or food that you don't kind of have to pretend. Oh, this just comes to me. You guys know this thing about about um, like the words for the words for animals and the words for um, the words for our food. We talk about cows. We don't talk about beefs. Yeah. We don't talk about we don't talk about mutton. Like different, we talk about yeah. sheep. Ian, tell us. OK, yeah. basically, the idea is we have different words for the food we derive from animals. Yeah. As opposed to okay. the, uh, the, the yeah. animals, the kinds of animals themselves. And we try, mm-hmm. we do our best to divorce the animal as a, as a thing from yeah. the product that we consume from it. Right. Like cow versus beef, pig yeah. versus pork, yep. exactly. sheep versus mutton. Just chicken. We really, fe- we really fell down at chicken. I guess well, poultry, chickens are kind of evil. It, but yeah, so. we just call it chickens. So this was a, this book was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed reading it. I really appreciate um, Silas recommending it, and I appreciate Silas told me so much more about um, sustainability. He says sustainability as a concept is just in his words, not mine. Sustainability in agriculture is just total bullshit. Um, sustainable agriculture is mostly <laughs> a, a concept. Um, if you want to have good, like legit meat, good, well-farmed food, it's got to be regenerative in order for you not to feel, yeah. for some folks not to feel super. Um, others just eat it and have fun. <laughs> Team eat it, have fun. I, I do think like sometimes, you know, we, we talk we talk about a lot of racists on this show. We talk a lot about old authors who, you know, have, have since done cancelable things or who did things in their time that we now see as cancelable. And I play this thought experiment sometimes where I think, okay, Joe, a hundred years from now, what will you be canceled uh-huh. for? Yep. Right. Right. Like what are, yep. what are your blind sides right now? And the, the obvious one to me all the time is it's eating meat. You know, like I think there is a future society in which we go, Hey, those cows, they're kind of people. Gentlemen, welcome to Tiffany's uh, Safe Place, where you can tell me all the bad things about your book, Joe. You yeah, go now. Um, my book is a series of anecdotes. It's basically a series of farm stories, um, and there is no cohesion to them, except they all happen um, on this farm. There's no overarching uh, chapter structure. There's no overarching narrative. It's just story after story after story. The end of it, it actually like kind of spirals away at the end, and the last like few pages are just like, newspaper clippings about their farm like but like put next so to each other it's malarkey is what you're saying joe yeah it, it feels a little bit scrapbooky at times that's the that's the thing i don't like yeah, about maybe that's charming maybe you kitschy. cynic 
you cynic. Yep. Ian, Ian, tell me something terrible. Absolutely. Um, tear there were times apart. when it felt like he wasn't going to get ahead. The promise of this book is like he's going to make it. But it feels like it felt <laughs> I think it's good storytelling, but it felt like he's spinning his wheels. I'm like, OK, buddy, get to dystopian. the part where you're an international powerhouse beef maker. So, yeah. Ian, you lose. Oh, God. What show would this be if our farming expert yeah. didn't yeah. win another victorious? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes. No pus, though. That's so a that, loss for all know, of us. That's good. That's not. That's yeah. not. That we all lost. I just told the well, pep rally story. Not, yeah. not nearly as that's um, true. Visceral. Uh, Lidheads. Yeah, a couple of jobs for you. This is your little honeydew list um, before you wrap up for the evening, before you bed down the cattle and so forth. Please head on over to our social media and like and subscribe and do all that fun stuff and tell, tell bookish friends about the, the show. That's a really wonderful thing to do. At our website, you can do a number of different things, mostly mostly two big ones, though. You can request books or themes, as we had this week. Um, Silas requested uh, gaining ground by Forrest Pritchard this week. And that was super cool because, again, as Joe has said in the past, I would not have read this were it not for. Um, you can also over there, you can request stickums. I've been sending those out here and there. Uh, I still have a few left. So if you're interested in a stick, um, speak now or forever hold your peace. Um, the last thing I would encourage you to do is support farmers markets. Go to your local farmers market and and ask around, um, ask if they have Meat that's been farmed regeneratively, look for pesticide-free uh, vegetables and whatnot. Um, get a sense of get a sense of where your food comes from. You will be happier with it, and it'll be better for you, and it, you just might feel a little bit better too. Congratulations to Bumble. Congratulations to Mrs. Bumble, and congratulations to the widow of Ms. Bumble. The widow, best bumble. Yes, thank you. All right. I've got a piece here about a cow named Amelia. Amelia was an unusually delightful calf, more trusted and understanding than we would have thought possible, while her mother was offhand, to say the least. From day one, Amelia did everything slowly. She seemed thoughtful. When the gate was opened and all of her contemporaries rushed eagerly to the next adventure, Amelia would take her time and emerge when she felt like it, sometimes when the others were nearly out of sight. She made a mental note of everything, as we would later find out. I could write for a thousand pages, listing every detail of Amelia's life, and I would not have preserved even a half-accurate picture of her. She had to cope with the vicissitudes of life, and after giving birth to dead twins, her grieving was far more acute than any we'd ever witnessed. She needed to be milked every day, and during the succeeding year, developed a strong friendship with my brother, who bent over backwards in an effort to console and divert her. She has always been loving, and though I give her love only if she looks for it and wants me to, my brother Richard gives her love whenever she, or whether she wants him to or not. When Richard had officiated at the birth of Nell's beautiful Heatherford calf, he went straight over to talk to her calf of a previous year to compensate him for no longer occupying center stage in his mother's affections. My mother was watching this and noticed that Amelia was watching too. As soon as Richard finished taking Nelson, my mother told him that Amelia had been watching somewhat jealously. Richard went straight to apologize to her, but as soon as he got near her, she tossed her head in high dudgeon, turned her back on him, and walked off. Richard went after her, grabbed her around the neck, and gave her a determined bear hug, and then held out his hand for reconciliation. Amelia hesitated for a second, and then licked his hand and said, slightly huffily, that he was forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> 